0: I'm Josh Schwartz, And I'm William Millingworth. Host of the High Tech Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back.
1: Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Rebecca Dedovitz, MD, and Dr. Dennis Johnston, PhD, about a recent research report. The AVID program leads to lower substance abuse, better health behaviors among high school students, UCLA research suggests. So much to learn. Thanks for listening. And then, uh, by the way, it'd be so cool if you uh, uh, went to my website, com slash reviews and uh, left a review for the podcast. Could you do that? That'd be so cool. You know, another way you can do it is you're listening on, on your uh, podcast listening platform. All you got to do is click on that podcast art and go down to the bottom of it uh, and you should see a place to to leave uh, five stars hint hint <laughs> that would be nice um and uh, and to leave your comments that would be so cool could you do that for me thanks so much thanks for listening thanks for sharing and uh, enjoy the show hey do you like awesome rings do you need a ring to replace one that you lost ages ago or do you need a new wedding band because yours is no longer fixable well <laughs> I have this cool sponsor, Boon Titanium Rings. They can be found at BoonRings.com. They make their rings from titanium, and you can get the rings carved, engraved, inlaid, laser cut. There's even special collections like the Hunter series, or the Gamer Rings, or the Black Zirconium. Very cool. They have models that have meteorite, wood, or other inlays. Check out BoonRings.com, and at checkout, use the code for my podcast. It's Capital T, Capital L, Capital L, Capital K, and the number twelve, TLLK12, and you will get ten percent off the total, and you will help this podcast out. Thanks so much. I love my ring, and I know you will love yours.
0: It's the education podcast, your favorite show with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to ten and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Milletto, teaching, learning, leading K12. Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12. Teaching, Learning, Leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dot Maletto.
1: Hey, welcome back, Steve here, and today I'm talking with Rebecca Dedovitz, MD, MSHS, and uh, she is an associate professor in general pediatrics at the David Geffen School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Dedevitz graduated from the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in 2005 and completed her residency training in the UCLA Pediatric Community Health and Advocacy Training uh, Program in 2008. That's also known as CHAT. After residency, she served as a chief resident before entering a health services research fellowship through the UCLA Robert Wood Johnson Clinical Scholars Program. Through the Clinical Scholars Program, she gained expertise in community-based participatory research and received a master's degree in health services from the UCLA Fielding School of Public Health. Following her fellowship training, she joined the faculty in the Division of General Pediatrics. In addition to seeing patients, she supervises resident physicians and medical students and directs health services research for the Department of Pediatrics. Her research focuses on school health and how academic achievement and school environments influence health behaviors. Also with us today is Dr. Dennis Johnston, who is responsible for overseeing AVID Center's research agenda and coordinating evaluation efforts of the various components of the AVID College and Career Readiness System. Prior to joining AVID, Dr. Johnston served as Director of Assessment, Accountability and Research at the San Diego County Office of Education. He was the Director of Assessment and Evaluation of the Grossmont Union High School District, the Senior Research Associate of the Comprehensive Adult Student Assessment System, and was part-time faculty at the College of Education at Temple University and the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to have you on the show and say hi to everybody. Good morning.
0: Hello.
2: Hi, thanks for having us.
1: Well, glad that you're here. And uh, um, before we get into the, the, the study and all that, what I'd like to do first is I'm going to have you each kind of explain what you do, all right, what your, your world is here. So Rebecca, as an associate professor in general pediatrics at UCLA, and talk about that. What do you do? What is, what is, what is, what's the big focus of what you're, you're all about?
2: Yeah, I get to spend my days um, thinking about how to keep children healthy and um, make a world that makes health the easy choice for them. Um, So in my clinical time, I am a general pediatrician, so I see children for checkups and for sick visits, and I get to work with residents and medical students who are training to be doctors and pediatricians. Um, And that all really kind of shapes how I think about the forces that help support health or work against health. Um, And so in my research world, I get to think about how to um, shape systems that make health the easy choice for kids. so not everybody knows what health services research is, but um, essentially we study the systems that influence health for kids. Um, a big part of that is the healthcare system, but many other systems influence children's health as well. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about how the education system influences health for kids.
1: That is excellent, thank you. And thanks for explaining that too, because yes, I was I was hoping you would. <laughs> so good stuff. Uh, so Dennis? Sure, love to. I, uh, I have the privilege of uh, heading up
0: our research at the AVID Center, as you mentioned, I've been with AVID now nearly 20 years. And uh, we basically look at the efficacy, the effectiveness, the model of of AVID's implementation of our framework, which I'll talk about in a little while. But uh, really, it's ensuring that educators are getting what they need to ensure that all students have the opportunity to grow into the best version of themselves. So that they have the opportunity to pursue their aspirations and uh, and and live lives that they're that they're very proud of and can contribute to society.
1: Very cool. So, uh, and just as a note, before we got online, you know, we were we were talking about how it's really possible that Dennis and I ran into each other um, back in the mid yeah. two thousands. So, because I was a high school principal and uh, and we were using Avid program to to work with our students. So, um, without me saying any more about that, let's make sure that uh, what we do, uh, let's start by sharing what is AVID?
0: Sure. So AVID, really, when it comes down to it, AVID is is a philosophy. It's a way of thinking about schooling. And um, we articulate that sort of philosophy through our framework. It's um, AVID is a system, a framework that provides scaffolded supports for educators primarily, and who then turn to students Um, and encourage college and career readiness across all campuses. And so basically we train roughly 50,000 educators a year, teachers, administrators, superintendents. um, And we touch approximately, well, actually more than 8,000 schools uh, currently, and more than 2 million kids every year. Our philosophy is, as I mentioned, articulated in our framework. And our framework is all about system inputs. AVID is all about system inputs. It's what we as educators have control over to ensure that students have the opportunity to learn what is needed, the skills, the opportunity, knowledge, and obtain the agency to pursue and aspire and gain and be successful in what what their dreams are all about. Our framework articulates three components of what we believe students need. Students need to have rigorous academic preparation. Students need to, be, to, to leave high school with the opportunity knowledge, that is, understanding a world that lies further than one block in front of them, one block to the left, one block to the right, and one block behind them. Many of our kids, that's what they see as their world. We need to open up that landscape so that they see and believe that, hey, I can become a doctor, I can be a lawyer, I can be an astronaut, I can be a baker, the best baker ever, I can be a chef, I can be whatever I want to be. And then lastly, we need to develop the student agency and kids. We need to believe that they can have a life that they believe in, that they believe they have the skills to be successful in, and that they can take action and they can initiate action to pursue those dreams. That's what we believe students need. Now, in order for us to embed all that, educators have specific tasks and jobs to do as well. We believe that all educators must insist on rigor. We believe that all educators must break down barriers to access rigorous opportunities and the experiences we know kids need to have in order to be successful. We need to align the work in schools so that students don't spend as much time as they are learning how to do school, and they spend more time learning while at school. And then all educators need to advocate for kids. We need to understand that we're there to support our students Take those four, seven elements, and you put them atop the four, what we call domains of all schools, instruction, systems, leadership, and culture. And when you thoughtfully address these issues within those four domains, we can make amazing things happen on campuses. In a little while, we'll talk a little bit about those impacts.
1: That's so cool. And uh, just a note, uh, this is cool. You bring back a lot of memories here, because one of the things that uh, we used avid for was the hell I was, I was tasked with, uh, um, it, I went to schools to make change and, uh, um, very high needs population, uh, very transient population and, uh, had a f- fairly violent culture associated with within the school. And, mm-hmm. um, we had to get, uh, focused on, get that under control and then focused on the academics. And part of it was to try and make, uh, you know, and you had to think about the times also, but part of it was to, um, to get kids the uh, the study capabilities and skills and such to be able to get into um, AP classes and then become successful in AP classes, so a three or better on a test, and uh, um, so that they then could get access to whatever you know academics beyond high school they wanted, and uh, um, and it it was awesome because we took went from forty four kids. Um, in uh, one year to growing it to eventually uh, um, over 800 kids uh, Taking AP tests and being successful in these classes, and and going on to those four year institutions that they wanted to, so I got to tell you, kudos! <laughs> all right. By the way, I was not paid to say that by anybody. <laughs> uh, this is not. I
0: hear, a- I hear stories like that, Steve, from educators all the time. And while I'm very proud of the work that we do at the center, uh, and we do work very, very uh, diligently to make sure that we provide the most up to date research and resources to support educators, it really is our the, the teachers in the classrooms, the administrators on the campuses, they deserve you know, the yeoman's amount of credit for this. They're the ones that are transforming schools that transform kids. And that's a really important perspective that AVID takes. AVID takes a perspective that it is taking responsibility and accountability for that which we educators have control over. We don't have a lot of control over the socioeconomic status of our kids. We don't have any control over their ethnicity right? Or their gender or anything like that. All of those things are out of, con- out of our control. We don't need to be paying up extensive amounts of time with those issues. We need to be sensitive of those issues, but we don't need to be spending a lot of time on those issues. What we need to spend a lot of time as educators on is establishing relational capacity with each other and with our kids. When we do that, we build trust. And when we build trust, we become vulnerable and when we become vulnerable, we take risks. It is at that point that we take risks and that we fail safely that we have the opportunity to grow. And that is true not just in education. That is, that is true throughout our lives. It is when we take risks and we don't get the outcome that we hope to get that we try something different. And trying something different is growth. And that is what Abbott is all about. That is what we mean by ensuring rigor in the classrooms. That is what we mean by ensuring opportunity knowledge. That is what we mean by having
1: student agency. You don't take risks if you don't have agency. Oh, you got that right. Good stuff. So awesome. I, uh, so Rebecca, let's, uh, let's shift over to you. And, and our focus today is a study that was released in December of 2022 um, from the peer reviewed journal pediatrics. So tell everybody what that means and uh, a little bit about the, the journal and uh, um, but let's talk about what peer review means. Cause it gives it some chutzpah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so in academics, when you go off to publish a paper somewhere um, you submit your work to a journal and they send that out to three other scientists to look at um, to sort of judge the rigor of the work and give you feedback to strengthen the manuscript. And um, if everybody agrees that the manuscript is, is worthwhile to publish, then they give you like that, that gold stamp, that seal of approval. And and that's how your work gets published. Um, So it is really being in dialogue with the scientific community um, with the goal of strengthening the science that comes out of that. Pediatrics is, um, I was really happy to see the work published in that journal because it's the journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And so really speaks to, um, pediatricians and child health advocates. Um, so, and, and that's the audience that I think needs to hear about this work. So that was really gratifying.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Cause this is, uh, I mean, it's two different groups, um, understanding that, uh, this, this has impact in many different ways. So, um, absolutely. So cool stuff. So the, uh, the report: The AVID program leads to lower substance abuse, better health behaviors among high school students. UCLA research suggests. So cool. Um, let's talk about uh, um, let's talk about this just a little bit. I mean, the article refers to you, Rebecca, as the lead author. Could you talk about your role in the research?
2: Yeah. Um, well. So I first heard about AVID when I was um, interviewing recent high school graduates about how the experiences that they had in school shaped their health and life trajectories, especially around substance use. And one of the things that really stood out to me, I was interviewing a wide variety of kids who had experienced very different um, school environments, different kinds of schools, charter schools, public schools, like all, all across the board. And one of the things that stood out to me was that when I encountered students who had been in AVID, they talked about experiencing an AVID family. And they talked about how that really opened up a different group of kids for them to make friends with and teachers and adults on campus who saw them in a different way and advocated for them in a different way and made them feel valued and cared for and part of a school community. And they talked about how that, really influenced their choices. Um, when they were hanging out with their friends and talking about college, it was a different group and doing different activities than the other kids who might have been, um, you know, unsupervised and maybe getting into some trouble. So, um, you know, they talked about how influential this was to them and that, that got me really interested in the program. So, um, I started learning a little bit more about the program and approached, um, some, school system to see if they were interested in studying it. And and they really were. So um, we worked together to basically identify twice as many kids who might benefit from AVID as the schools had the capacity to serve. And then to use a lottery to basically decide out of that pool of kids who would be perfect for AVID, which ones would be offered a spot in the program. And that created two groups of kids kids who were in the AVID program and kids who were pretty much in every other respect the same as those kids, but they were not offered a spot in the program. Um, And so as researchers, we followed both groups of kids from their very first transition into high school, um, either the end of eighth grade or beginning of ninth grade when they first joined that high school. Um, And we've, we've now followed them through the end of 11th grade. The study that was just published looked at the time from the beginning of high school to the end of ninth grade, because as you all know, we experienced the pandemic (laughs) partway through. And so, um, so we wanted to sort of take the pandemic out of the mix and just look at in a typical kind of school experience, what is the impact of AVID on health? So we looked at substance use, violence, delinquency, and relationships, um, the kinds of friendships students had relationships with adults. And then we looked at their social emotional skills, like, um, grit, like school engagement, stress. Um, so those were, those were the main kind of things that that we followed over time.
1: That's awesome. And so, and you know, one of the questions I was going to ask you is that one of the things that the AVID report says is huh. that this is the first randomized controlled trial of AVID in the United States. And so I'm guessing that's kind of what you were just explaining about the two different groups is what, what makes that so special about doing it that way? I mean, what is it that, uh, you know, says, you know, okay, we, we, we did our due diligence here.
2: Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, this is the kind of research that we do in science when we're figuring out if a new medication works, for example. Um, And the whole goal behind a randomized controlled trial is to make sure that any difference that you see between your two groups that you're comparing, you can really hone in on the fact that the differences were caused by the intervention, which in this case is AVID. Um, And that is because, as I mentioned, when you randomize people to one group or the other, you really make sure that the only difference between those two groups of people is the intervention. Um, So that really lets you make that argument that when you see differences between those groups, those differences are caused by the intervention itself. Otherwise, we worry about other things sort of like muddying the picture. Um, and, And we hear this all the time about programs in schools like, well, maybe the kids had more supportive homes or maybe the kids were just more motivated to begin with or maybe the kids had a different friend group to begin with in this case um, because we randomized students to the avid experience or kind of a typical school experience um we, you know none of those things are, are arguments to explain the differences that we saw
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that was really cool just as a note is that we saw Um, you know, the kids, something that that was referred to earlier, um, which is that uh, the kids had, they developed a a more academic type uh, friend group, as well as conversations, (laughs) um, where they were, they were curious how each other was doing. And, uh, you know, you started hearing conversations where in the beginning at that school, you didn't hear talks at lunch. Now, don't get me wrong. We had some kids who were very focused on all of it, but not lots. And, but uh, when more of the (laughs) <laughs> the cafeteria is asking each other questions about how'd you do on this test or what are you, are you, are you thinking about, what are you thinking about after high school? Cause that was a huge deal. One of the things that uh, was transitioning to that, where only a, where only a small population talked about what comes after high school to a much larger group as they're having some success in classes and on uh, their different tests and such as that they have to do to complete, to get in. So, um, but I, I, it was just cool. Cause uh, Sorry, I got to be geeky about this because I'll never forget one day. Because remember, I told you a little bit about the population in the beginning, and and so you start being you know celebrating successes <laughs> when uh, you know you've you've been dealing with all kinds of different stuff that uh, um, other pro- that are problematic, and um, one day you're standing in this area we call the Breezeway, and uh, um, you. get some kids walked by us and they were talking about, uh, how they were doing in class. Now these were not kids that you, you would normally hear this from. Um, these were a couple of guys that were constantly seeing, you know, best way to describe them is, uh, um, you know, repeat customers to the assistant principals. And, uh, uh, you know, and they're talking about testing and they're talking about studying and they were talking about, and specifically talking about some skill that uh, they had learned in the, in the AVID program, which I thought was cool. So once again, I did not get paid to say this stuff. This is, but it was, uh, this is cool to have uh, to, to hear this because I, we saw some of the same sorts of things with no formal study, but the fact that some of your same kids who were, uh, were looking to see if there was some place other than the gang that they were um associating with, as they started hanging out with others and very cool.
2: Yeah. And we know that like peer influence is so powerful, especially during those teenage years, what your friends are into is, is a, a big dictates a lot of your own behavior.
1: It's, it really does. So that's, that's so powerful. So, you know, one of the things that uh, um, the article talks about is that in, In the beginning, it says that uh, tracking versus untracking in schools um, is something kind of typical. And uh, I was wondering if you could kind of talk about what that is um, and uh, what it played, what the role that it played in doing the research that you're doing.
2: Yeah, great question. Um, so tracking is really the practice of grouping kids in classes based on their prior school performance. And, and this happens a lot, all, all the time in schools where, um, you know, kids get programmed into the AP or the honors course because they performed really well the previous year and they seem like a strong student who could handle the work. Um, and so it, it kind of makes sense why schools Take this approach. Um, And I think the goal is to be able to provide more targeted and and differentiated education. There are lots of studies out there about sort of the academic merits of tracking. So um, I'm definitely not an expert in in that area. But one of the things that struck me from a health standpoint was um, you know, part of the way kids make friends is by taking the same classes with each other. And so when you're sorting kids into these groups, like according to classes, It really could impact their health as well if we think about that spillover effect of how you're, who you're exposed to kind of shapes who your friends are and who your friends are, shapes how you think about yourself and your future and your health choices. So um, part of what we really wanted to get into in this study was understanding whether um, this practice of grouping kids might actually influence their health. And what we found was that by sort of shifting the classes that the AVID kids were in and and then being in more rigorous academic classes, it really did shape their friend group, and it, it did influence their health.
1: You know, it's so uh, it's it's so interesting. I, I I grew up in a state uh, where uh, we were tracked, and they had basic, average, and advanced. And mm. uh, the uh, and as a as a note, as a kid, it's funny because uh, my I was in that average track. And uh, for the longest time and until uh, uh, an English teacher bumped me out of it into the, the next track for my senior year. And, uh, and so I got to know a whole new group of kids, <laughs> which was, which is very interesting. And uh, I've thought about it from time to time because um, the English teacher who was my junior English teacher um, to say we butted heads is probably an understatement. Okay. <laughs> and uh but she saw something in me. And so as a result of her, I got to meet a teacher that I can, I lovingly refer to as Yoda, um, <laughs> after the Star Wars character, because she was brilliant and she was tough and she was very, talking about rigor was extremely so, but, uh, I, she was amazing. And, uh, the class was interesting in itself as we you know, had for the first time I got to experience a, a study group type session where she, she encouraged us to bring food to these circles. And we talked about what we learned from the recent reading type of thing. And it totally changed my, <laughs> it's just amazing. So, and it, and it's not like, I mean, I could talk with you about <laughs> all kinds of other things out of the, the being in those different tracks, but it was, it's just interesting how uh, some of that uh, can play off and. Uh, and who you are with and what happens and all that sort of stuff. So, um, sorry. Mostly,
0: what, you, what you both have been describing is exactly what I was referring to at the very beginning about AVID being a philosophy where educators are taking responsibility and holding one another and themselves accountable for doing what needs to be done to grow students in a way that all students can be successful. The detracking is what we refer to in our framework as breaking down barriers. You mentioned just now that Yoda, fondly referred to your English teacher, had exposed you to a different setup in a classroom with the group setup, um, the collaborative structures. We refer to them in AVID. Those are all intentional acts that educators can take Right. That are inputs into the learning experience for kids that can have powerful impacts on the trajectory of their lives. You mentioned earlier also about the, the changing in the conversations you are hearing in the cafeteria that's what those are examples or manifestations of what we refer to as opportunity knowledge more and more kids were talking about what they plan to do after high school whether it be going into the military whether it be you know uh, joining going to college to get a business degree to help with the family business or whatever their aspirations might be because we've opened the landscape we've extended as i mentioned the block in front of them into the left and right of them we've extended the landscape where now they're thinking differently and so as a result, conversations are different, right? Curiosities are different. And all of that is grown in the garden of the learning experience created by us educators. It isn't, it isn't rocket science, per se. It is challenging work. Abbott is not plug and play, right? But it is so incredibly important that we educators provide these environments for kids because it is the rest of their lives and generations behind them.
1: You know, it's uh, it, it's just <laughs> so powerful because you never know what, what impact you're going to have, what teacher, what conversation, what part of the environment is going to have mm-hmm. on the choices that we make as kids. And, and uh, you know, it's just that one word or that one ability to do better or just to be able to, s- to say, wow, I didn't do as bad as I normally do or something, you know, and it's, you know, and then they shift gears and. You know, it's uh, it's funny because it's uh, it's a neat thing. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. You know, it's kind of, uh, um, and you see that as a former high school principal, you saw it all the time. I was, I'm a former high school history teacher. You'd, you'd see it in, in the classroom as well, and uh, just good stuff. So, so I got to ask you. You know, we're as we're uh, coming close to to the end here. One of the things I wanted to ask ask you all is to think about this. If you had a chance to do a keynote for a conference of school administrators, so. Uh, um, and what, you know, and you're, this is the end of the day. So you're the closing part of the, the whole conference and you want to make sure that you leave them with one thought when they, they go out that door. What's that going to be? Rebecca, would you like to go? I'm sure. go? <laughs>
2: yeah, I'll start. Um, so I really think, um, the secret sauce here is that it, it all boils down to relationships. And um, certainly as a pediatrician, I see this all the time, that um, sometimes it seems like we're talking to adolescents and maybe they're dismissing or not hearing what we're saying. But, um, but over and over again, the evidence shows us that children are always looking at us. They're always watching us. They're always learning from us where their place is in the world and how the world will value and receive them. And uh, relationships are incredibly powerful. Um, I think this study sort of reinforces that, that if you can build that relational capacity in a school, you can not just impact a child's academic performance, but really truly their, their health at a deep level and, and their trajectory.
1: Awesome. I will- you know, it would be in a
0: redundant keynote because I, too, would build a, 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 an exiting message around the importance of establishing relationships and what we refer to as relational capacity uh, on our campuses. I would also leave, uh, hopefully, leave them with the message of the opportunity is within them. As educational leaders, they have the opportunity to establish a culture to model behaviors and to present and create results and outcomes that will excite, that will empower every one of the adults on their campus to do even a better job than what they're doing today. Really what we have to understand as educators is we get what we get. Those kids that come to us, every one of them is a gift. They all bring something to the learning experience. Our job is to create a learning environment that exposes to those each individual kids that gift and gives them a platform to share it with everyone around them. And that's what AVID is all about. AVID is all about educators being empowered to trust themselves, to trust their students, to grow into, and they get to guide and facilitate. They get that privilege we each do as educators, to guide and to facilitate their understanding of who they are and who they want to become. It sounds sort of idealistic and, you know, but really, you've seen it, Steve, you've seen it on your campuses. Rebecca has seen it in her research, right? And she's presenting outcomes now that help me think differently about the potential. But what we do know is that when we create different types of experiences for kids that are based on relationships, that are built on what we call collective educator agency, when educators share beliefs that together and trust that together, they can create learning environments to benefit kids, all kids, toward college and career readiness. That we have the ability to do that. That's the message I would leave them with.
1: Oh, I love this! This is awesome. It's powerful, and uh, you got uh, you make me want to go back to to be with a school again. So, <laughs> this is well, we could use you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, this is so cool. I, you know, I Rebecca and Dennis, we're about to finish up now. I'm going to ask you a question. And then after that, I got two last questions, which are just the questions I like to ask my guests. But um, before we close, if someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them?
0: I would send them to our website, of course, avid.org. Take a peek, take a look around. Uh, As I mentioned before, Avid is not plug and play, but uh, Avid is incredible and the impacts that we've had on educators, which I didn't talk a lot about at all about. um, The times like these when educators uh, are leaving the profession, really strong, powerful educators are leaving our profession. What we've learned in states like Oregon is when educators come to our trainings and they learn what we're trying to do and they leave us after only three days with the skills and the strength and the knowledge that they can do this What we found was that educators, avid trained educators are significantly more likely to stay in the profession, to stay in their districts and moreover, stay in their schools. And this is particularly true among first and second year educators. So in times like these, like today, where we're losing so many, right? Empower your educators, they'll feel connected to school. They'll get those relationships built and they're likely to stay and thrive in a profession that we desperately need them. (laughs) AVID.org.
2: And I will say, if if folks want to learn more about the study, um, it is an open access publication, which we did purposefully because we um, don't want people to have to pay for a journal subscription to be able to um, access the research. Uh, We believe strongly that the communities that are impacted by this work should have access to that knowledge about the work, so um, it's available for free. Um, I believe there's a link to it on the AVID website. and you should be able to find it at the uh, pediatrics journal or the American Academy of Pediatrics.
1: It's right on our right on our homepage. Awesome. Awesome. And I will have links to all that so that uh, they can easily find it in my show notes. So uh, with that being said, I got two more questions and uh, before we close out. So uh, the first one goes like this. So I'd like each of you um, to answer this, if you could, which is how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? Hmm. Well,
0: um, Every morning I get up excited uh, to do the work that I get the privilege of doing because I've seen the impacts that teachers have. I've heard struggling and frustrated teachers in our trainings leave so excited uh, about the opportunity that they're gonna try new things in their classrooms. I've heard teachers on the verge of retirement saying, Dennis, I wish I would have known about this 20 years ago. Yeah, AVID isn't magic, but AVID works. Uh, You know, I've told many people, I believe AVID, I swear if I would have cut my arm, AVID would run down it. I'm a researcher. I'm a research scientist. I know AVID is not a silver bullet, and AVID is not perfect, but AVID is powerful.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll add to that that um, I think I draw a lot of inspiration from the patients that I see in my clinic, um, and I... Uh, absolutely love. I have the privilege of getting to spend a lot of my days with children and families. Um, And it's really gratifying to be able to help children be healthier, make healthier choices in a world that often is an unhealthy world. And that's what inspires me in my research to try to make the world a healthier place for kids. So they don't, so children and families don't have to work so hard to make those healthy choices.
1: Excellent! I love them both. That's awesome. Good stuff. Uh, last question: Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and mm-hmm. what would you say if given a chance to say thank you?
0: So I have I have two. I have a grade school. Actually, it was it was high school. Uh, Miss Haskins, and um, of all classes, it was my home economics course uh, because I love to cook, and uh, she sort of got me on that on that uh, on that track. And the takeaway, with what she taught me was that education is power. And I don't mean in an authoritative way or disciplinarian type way when I mean power. Uh, what she meant then and what I mean now is it's power in a sense that it empowers me to make my own decisions. And it has empowered me to have the Uh, ability, the strength, the wherewithal, and the confidence to pursue opportunities when they presented themselves. And so I would thank her, and I'm thanking her now uh, for that. And the second is Dr. Marty Sherman, who in my master's program, uh, I got really hooked into statistics. I know most people are probably cringing right now, but statistics and, and research methods. And I, and I told him one afternoon, I said, Marty, but you know, how am I going to make a living? I've got you a know, new brand new baby thinking about and coming on the way and, and, a, and a young wife. It's time. And, and I'm like, uh, how am I going to make a living? He told me, he said, you know, Dennis, he said, find your passion. When you do, it will excite you to the point where you'll become the best you can be at it and the rest will follow. And, uh, and I thank him, and I would thank him today as I am now for that. Um, I pass that down to my kids and to everyone I try to have the opportunity to, to speak with.
1: Excellent. Thank you. That's cool. Rebecca?
2: Yeah, um, I will start by saying that I was really blessed to have had wonderful teachers throughout all of my education. And I am a proud product of public education in Los Angeles. And so just a shout out to all public school teachers out there. Um, I really had a a really rich education going through public school, both in terms of my academic and social education. So um, a plug for for public schools there. I'm gonna say thank you to a particular teacher, uh, Paul Mertens, who was my uh, junior high social studies teacher. And he really taught me the skills that I needed to to be a student. And he gave me a, a real sense of self-efficacy, pushing me to sort of, uh, to, to be able to accomplish things that I didn't know I had in me. And um, I always say that it was actually his class that prepared me for medical school. So um, I think I I took those life skills and study skills throughout the rest of my education.
1: Very cool. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you both so much. This has been awesome. I mean, Dr. Rebecca Dedovitz and Dr. Dennis Johnston, I mean, it was awesome talking with you guys today. Um, Thanks for sharing about the findings of the report. The AVID program leads to lower substance abuse, better health behaviors among high school students, UCLA research suggests. AVID is a powerful program already, but the research findings show that it is possibly as has a much larger impact on its participants than uh, what we already thought about. So, which is really cool. Um, Hey, thank you so much. wish you all the best.
0: Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Have a great day.
1: Hey, you have been listening to teaching, learning, leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching learning, leading K-12 is a member of the education podcast network podcasts for educators podcast by educators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.